Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At the World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Wednesday. How are you, my friend? I'm doing amazing today. This is our, this is our amazing show we have every week. In the middle it's of Amazing week, Wednesday so. on The World yep. Transformed. I worked it into the show title this week just so no one would be in any way unclear on what we're doing here this week. And this is a total grab bag we're doing tonight. So you, you can tell when there's a lot of commas in the title of a World Transformed episode that we're doing a grab bag, right? Computer artists, brain hacks, the amazing electric bus. I could have, I could have listed the other things we're going to get into this evening. But basically, we're just talking about all kinds of cool stuff that's, that's going yeah, on. If and one thing bores you, hey, just wait five minutes. Hang on. We've got more, more yeah, cool stuff. In fact, we've got more than we'll ever fit into half an hour, I think, at this rate. So we'll just, we'll just start talking about some of this stuff, beginning with the computer artist. It's getting hard to tell if a painting was made by a computer or a human. This was over at artsy.net. Really interesting research, double-blind study, showing subjects, paintings by computers, paintings by humans, all mixed in together. And guess what? People can't tell them apart. You can no longer distinguish art made by a painted, quote-unquote, although sometimes I suppose it might actually be painted, by a computer versus actual works of art painted by human beings. And I was thinking about this story. Isn't this some kind of subtle Turing test here? Oh, yeah, got it's an artistic Turing test, exactly. Yeah. The original Turing test that uh, Alan Turing um, proposed was that, uh, you know, I get on one side of a, a blind wall or whatever, and I'm typing text into a console of some sort, right? And, uh, and I'm having a conversation with either a person or a machine. I don't know. When I no longer can tell the difference between what a person, whether it's a person or a machine, it's, uh, that machine, if it is a machine, has passed the Turing test. And, um, that's, and yeah, this is exactly a Turing test for art. And, and it's, it, what's amazing to me is that turns out that uh, this, this Turing test has been passed prior to the, uh, uh, you know, we, we still don't have uh, 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 tests that are passing the, uh, the, art, the non-artistic, the regular. The language test, one, was, right? Yeah. The language one still hasn't been passed, but this has been passed apparently. So what's it saying here, Phil, that, uh, I mean. Uh, well, okay, let me stop you there. Arguably, the language one has been passed. We've done, we've done shows where the stories have claimed that that's happened, but it's only arguably. There's not universal okay. agreement that, that that has happened. But these, these results are hard to dispute. People, right. Human beings looking at pictures can't tell the difference. So that's kind of cool. And what's, what goes beyond even that is this fact. Listen to this. The computer-made pictures were often rated by subjects as more novel and aesthetically appealing than the human-generated art. So wow. yeah. this, is, this is something that can't happen in conversation. You can't say that a, that a computer sounds more human <laughs> than a human because we don't, we, we don't have that yet. Right. But that, the equivalent would be 
not only are you passing the Turing test, but people are saying, well, that second person I spoke to was much more interesting than anyone else I spoke to. That second <laughs> person really seemed to get me, and I really felt a human connection with them that I didn't feel with the other two. That person is, and it turns out that's the computer, right? Right, that, right. <laughs> that's what we're seeing here with the, with the art. You know, there's an interesting, um, uh, interesting story that came out uh, this last week, Phil, was the discovery of a new uh, Leonardo da Vinci painting. Right, did you see right. that? Um, I did, yeah. Salvador uh, de Monday or something like that, which Savior of the World. It's a, Savior of the it's World, a picture, picture of Jesus. Yeah, it's a picture of Jesus holding uh, like a, a sphere, right, a, a crystal sphere, and uh, which is meant to symbolize Symbolically the world. Symbolically the world, yes. Right. And uh, it looks very it's, – it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic painting, of course, Leonardo da Vinci, but it looks a whole lot like, in my eyes uh, – um, the, you know, the, oh gosh, I'm having a uh, Mona Lisa. It, it looks a lot a like lot. the Mona Lisa. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, and, and apparently uh, it was painted around the same period. So it was kind of, that was his phase. He was might going be his through. last painting. It might be his last painting. They, they say it's a very late Leon, Leonardo da Vinci painting. And here's the thing, amazing thing. It's the reason it's coming to light now is that it spent centuries underneath the paint of another painting. Right. right, somebody right. had the audacity to paint over a Leonardo da Vinci painting. Uh, apparently, there weren't enough canvases in the world at that moment. But, right, um, <laughs> that they had to do that. But anyway, um, they they uh, were able to get to it. Uh, they obviously get the paint off of it from the uh, where it had been painted over, and now it's being it's going to tour the world, and then it's going to go up for auction at Christie's. And uh, who knows what that thing will fetch? But it'll probably be the the most expensive painting ever. When it's sold, I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say that it's going to happen. But um, you know, because it'll be a privately owned Mona Lisa, basically, right? Well, they were valuing um, it at a at hundred million, I believe, is what they were saying. So you know, that's a. But uh, you know, think think of this: does does the fact that a machine could do a better Leonardo da Vinci than that does that undercut the value in any way of what we believe as a as a genuine touched by the master painting? What do you think, Phil? I think not. Um, I, I, I think that the, the value of what the AI can do exists in parallel to the value of the artifact, the actual, this was, this was created by the master. What's, what's interesting from this story, getting hard to tell if painting was made by a computer or a human, is I think we're a generation or two of technology away from AIs that will be able to we might even, not even be that far, come to think of it, AIs that will be able to give us fairly reliable and fairly accurate paintings that he never painted, right? It's like, right. well, here's, here's the next few paintings that Leonardo well, it would It seems have to me to have, to have the ultimate Leonardo da Vinci painting machine, Yeah, it would have to be a machine that believes it's Leonardo da Vinci, has the history of Leonardo da Vinci, knows what Leonardo da Vinci was, and has, and has the life experiences of Leonardo da Vinci, right? At least the memories of them. That's what um, we'd like to think. As humans, that's what we'd like to think. The, the AI is right. going to come around and tell us, no, 
we've, we've deconstructed Da Vinci, and it's actually a lot simpler than that. Right? <laughs> we can we can crank them out, uh, no big deal. We don't have to, you know yeah. we don't have to be human or or think human thoughts or or any of that kind of stuff. But but what you just said appeals to me as a human. I'm like that's exactly right. right. That's that's what the AI would, would would have to be. I I think that when you see, for example, we, we we've seen AIs producing things that look kind of like Picasso's. And obviously this story here is talking about AIs that are producing modern art and pr producing works that stylistically are similar to what other artists have done. It's, it's, it's possible that you can take a whole body of work from an artist and for an AI that becomes equivalent to solving a problem like chess. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. that, that producing more work in that exact same vein is similar to that. You just, you, you, you read in all the parameters and then you go. Now what that won't give you, I don't think, although maybe I'm not giving it enough credit. What that won't give you is weird directions. He might've gone, say he'd lived 10 more years. Yeah. He might've done paintings that were startlingly different from anything he's done before, right? Artists do those kinds of things. How could an AI ever predict that, right? How could an AI right, ever? Right, right. Uh, yeah, Leonardo's, uh, you know, abstract period, you know, that he would have yeah. had had he lived another 20 years. Um, who, who knows? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a hard, hard His thing dog's to playing poker period, right? No one could see that coming. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who, who would have known, uh, you know, that uh, he would have really been into, uh, you know, American Gothic, uh, his period, you know, that, that would have been interesting. Um, I, I would like to have seen uh, an old painting of some of the sketches he did, right? I mean, hmm. his sketchbook full of those fascinating machines. But what if he had done, if he had incorporated somehow that into an oil painting? I, th I think that would have, you could, you could have a beautiful oil painting of, of some of those ideas that he was, you know, in, in, particularly if it's somehow integrated in, in, in a way that would be fascinating. I, I would love to see that, uh, that done. But, and uh, that AIs will definitely be able to do. Right, because we have yeah. all the stuff. We have, we know what his p paintings look like, and we know what his sketches look like. That that's right. a fairly straightforward one. That one we can, that one we can get. Anyway, interesting stuff. It's it's interesting to think yeah. that that computer artists are producing more pleasing works to us than human artists, and what that says about how we entertain ourselves in the future, and how we respond to art. And by extension, you've got to think about literature. You've got to think about all forms of entertainment and just all forms of expression. I think the seeds of something really profound are here and something that we probably don't have time to get into tonight, but we'll be revisiting a lot in the weeks and months to come. Interesting stuff. All right, we've got to move on. We've got to talk about the amazing bus, huh? Electric bus sets record with 1,101-mile trip on a single charge. So this is cool, talking about adding about 500 miles to the best Model S uh, Tesla one charge drive ever ever recorded, and this is with a whole bus. Now, one of the reasons you can do that, obviously, is because a bus is bigger and you can fit more batteries on a bus. Right? Like, yeah, hey. it turns out that this range problem uh, tends to diminish with the size of the vehicle, which is mm -hmm. which is a bit surprising. You know, you would think that well, you know, because traditionally, whenever you think of somebody experimenting with range with an electric vehicle, you think of a, a vehicle that weighs about 90 pounds plus the battery right. pack. Right. Um, but, and you don't think of a, of a city bus, but, uh, 
wow, I mean, a, a thousand plus miles on a single charge. Um, you know, it, it turns out that uh, range gets easier with with a larger vehicle. So maybe does that mean that uh, we we should expect uh, uh, supersized Tesla SUVs or something at some point to get? To it get seems the like range it would make sense. Yeah. yeah. The the thing the thing that was a drawback energy consumption wise for fuel powered vehicles. You think about the big Land Rovers and the big. Hum, hummers, right? <laughs> you know, right. Th- these were frowned upon because they guzzled so much gas. But you look at those kinds of designs now, and you go, "Hey, you could really pack a lot of battery power onto a vehicle like that." So it it could be that you actually gain range by making big what would have been gas guzzling vehicles if they were running on gas. Yeah, they are going to be energy chewing vehicles on electricity too. But that's not our big concern. Our big concern here is trying to get something to have a sufficient range that you can that you can use it in a practical way. People, when you say um, a bus goes a thousand miles, that sounds pretty good. That's like, it hey, it sounds you know, great. And, yeah. and, and he, we, we are used to having 300 miles on a, a, a tank of gas, 300 mm-hmm. plus miles on a right. tank of gas. Um, if we can, if we can get 300 uh, miles on a charge and, you know, that, and the sort of charge where you can uh, charge it up uh, at your home, let's say overnight. And, uh, and 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 then go another 300 miles, and you you know most people that that would mean uh, you know you have to charge up once maybe one uh, maybe twice if you do a lot of driving in a week, um, and that's that's that begins to be a very doable thing. People uh, will abandon their uh, will abandon uh, fuel uh, or, or you know liquid fuel vehicles in favor of this uh, to a greater extent. Once you get that range problem licked, and if it means going bigger with these electric cars, then that solves another problem too. Because, you know, quite frankly, uh, we Americans like our big cars. Well, and we do. So, They're and, safer and in a lot of ways. So, I mean, they, that's right. You know, especially you know, you get out going, going up against all the other big cars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I don't care who you are. You, if, <clears> if you feel safe in a smart car on a uh, inter- interstate with an eighteen-wheeler right on your tail, um, then you are a braver man than I. Yeah. And, um, well, if you feel safe in a Hummer with the 18-wheeler on your tail, you, <laughs> yeah, that's you, true. I, but you feel a little bit safer, I, I would guess, probably if you're. Yeah. But, any rate, it's uh, yeah. I, I, I think this is fantastic, uh, and 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 could point the way uh, for development of electric cars going forward. I think so. I think so. I mean, 1,100 $1, miles. I was just doing the math in my head. I think this is right. That probably gets you from like Denver to St. Louis. Okay, that is a big cross-country yep. trip right there. That's as big a cross-country trip as anybody's ever going to want to make on a bus. So. You know, and it tends to solve the problem of, well, where in the world do we, uh, uh, where in the world do we charge these things? We don't have to, uh, you know, these fast charging ports uh, in every gas station. And, you know, well, if you, if you only have to uh, recharge every thousand miles, you know, man, you can, you can, <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm, I guarantee you that's as far as you want to drive in any one, uh, any one go. I don't care who you are. And, uh, and, you know, if you can, if you can make it from uh, Denver to St. Louis, then uh, you're done for the day. Yeah, you you are done. And uh, you can charge (laughs) that thing overnight. You know, you don't have to have a fast charge port. Exactly. Exactly. It does kind of solve that problem. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. We're, we're going to run out of show before we run out of great stuff here. Quantum computing will change everything and sooner than you expect. Now, we've done a couple shows about quantum computing, so just like to check in every now and then on this issue. Quantum computers are coming. 
we're, we're going to be seeing them. They're going to be changing how things are done. I, just one, one part of this story completely caught my attention, and I'm still kind of reeling from it if this is true. And I, I just love this. Volkswagen is working on quantum computing platform capable of alerting drivers to traffic jams 45 minutes before they occur. Okay? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Get your this head around that. This is what's known as a traveling salesman problem, Phil. Yeah. Um, so given a li- I, you know, I give you a list of cities, and I say, okay, you're a traveling salesman, Phil, and uh, here's, the, here's the cities and the distance between the cities. What's the shortest possible route that visits each city exactly one time? Yeah. Well, it turns out that that problem is pretty easy when you have two or three cities. But yeah. it, it, it increases in complexity almost, almost exponentially uh, as you add additional cities. What we're talking about with with this traffic problem is exactly that kind of problem. Yeah, and, uh, think and of every and, and, starting point and every destination as a city, and every right. car on the road is a participant in that, and you're dealing with it. It becomes a huge, huge. Be- you know, basically put a traditional computer on it and uh, wait till the end of the universe, and it might have an answer. Okay, right, but, but probably um, not. Yeah, but probably not. You yeah. put a quantum computer on it, and it can give you an answer. And, oh, well, the best way to go is this route so that you don't run into, you know, it, it minimizes the traffic you run into. That's, you know, that's the kind of problem it solves. But uh, even more impro- important problems than that, uh, although getting to work on time is an important problem, I've found. But um, it's, uh, uh, you know, also uh, solving problems like uh, what's the best molecule to fit into this, you know, uh, into your DNA to uh, solve this particular problem, right? Or right. In, in, inside your body. And so, yeah, there's huge, huge health implications for quantum, uh, quantum computers. It can solve these sorts of difficult problems that uh, traditional computers just can't. Yeah, and, there, are uh, these, there are these areas where further progress would require doing math that we just can't do, even with the machines that we have. And suddenly quantum computers provide a means of doing it, provide a back door into insights that it was unclear how we were going to get. You talk about the DNA problem, those, this problem of folding proteins is another one. Another one is just general material science. We've talked about the fact that there are many more potential combinations of chemicals than have ever even been contemplated, much less tried out. That there are huge discoveries to be made in material science that we're just not equipped to do. That you know you can't set the lab up and have well let's try two parts of this to one part of this to three parts. It, it once again you you can you can start from now until the end of the universe and maybe you'll find one or two useful things just by randomly doing that, but there's a good chance you won't, right? There's, because there's so many possible combinations, but we know there's good stuff to be found in there. Quantum computers provide the means of shortcutting discoveries along those lines. And we're going to see, once quantum computers are applied to this problem of materials science, we're, we're going to see all kinds of new materials showing up, new substances, new drugs showing up that were completely unanticipated and they're going to provide benefits that we're not even looking for currently because we just didn't know that this this stuff was possible. I think quantum computers are going to they're going to make the future fundamentally surprising, right? I, I, that's the only <laughs> word I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's the sort of thing uh, that uh, you know 
Are you paying attention? Well, good. Then you're only slightly, but you'll only be slightly less surprised than people who are not paying attention. Right. Um, At least we know to be ready to be surprised. That's the only. <laughs> yeah, we we know Christmas morning is on the way. You know, at least <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, but we have no idea what's under the tree. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was in um, it was in spring. We were uh, early spring. We were talking about uh, you know that uh, when quantum computers really get real when you when you have about a fifty quantum uh, fifty quantum bit yeah type, fifty cubits um, yeah fifty cubits yes and then and then it was like a couple of months ago uh, in the, in the middle of the summer uh, it was now so by the way we're, we've hit like fifty five cubits right or something right it was something in excess of that. So, you know, when we're talking about this becoming real and becoming something that all of a sudden, you know, this could change the world, like, real quick. We're not talking yes. about things that are 20 years down the road. We're talking about things that are, could happen in the next four or five years. And Absolutely. So, hang on. It's, it's going it's to get weird fast. Well, and, and they, one of the things they talk about, two years ago, there were already 7,000 researchers working on quantum computers, spending $1.5 and it's exploding now. So, right. This area is just taking off. If, if we were an investment show, I'd say put your money in quantum computers. We're not an investment show, so I would just say if you're interested in the future, put your interest in what's going what's to be coming out the other end of quantum computers because it's going to be some fascinating stuff and world-transforming, to coin a phrase, stuff coming out of there. Yeah. <laughs> just to be clear, we're not making financial recommendations. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, the, the attorney and, and me and uh, I, I, I personally would be the last guy to take advice from along those lines, so don't, don't <laughs> listen to me, even if I do try. Okay, how about this one? Inside this box could be the future of carbon capture. This is a stepping back from hugely transformative in all areas to hugely transformative in just one important area here. And this is a really cool story talking about using this big fuel cell as the means of capturing carbon. One, one of the things we've talked about over the years is, well, you know, what do you do about carbon emissions? You prevent them from ever happening. Or you capture the carbon as it's being burnt and you do something with it. Well, this is, this is that idea, right? This is the idea yeah. of we're going to capture the carbon as it comes out and we're going to turn it into fuel. We're going to actually turn that carbon into energy. So right. we've got the benefit of burning the dirty fuel that produces the carbon, and now we're going to burn the carbon, and we're going to get additional energy on top of it. It's a, it's a wonderful idea. Oh, I, I wonder if they're going to use the uh, process that was used in Nazi Germany uh, during World War II. Um, the, uh, the Nazis were running out of liquid fuel, they, they, and they, began, they used coal. And made made a liquid fuel out of coal by just turning that carbon into uh, uh, using a, a process. It's not all that difficult uh, to turn um, that carbon into a liquid fuel. I wonder if they will uh, they will use that, and I'm sure it will not be branded Nazi fuel. Uh, well, I don't I don't think I, so. The market. <laughs> I'm going to ask you as a marketer, uh, go in a different route. If, you if there is any connection whatsoever to what was done there, they will not be playing that up. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so your curiosity will not be satisfied on that issue, Stephen. Yeah, we, uh, it, would have to, we'd have to dig deep to find that connection. <laughs> that's right. There. And even then they'd yeah. say, no, it's a coincidence. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. We, 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 came up on it, uh, we came up with this uh, independently. But this, actually this does sound different because they're, they're doing it at a natural gas plant, which you know, is great. Natural gas isn't known for being all that emission heavy anyway. 
but uh, the, 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 the test run, I think, they're talking about here is on a natural gas plant, but obviously you could do it on a coal plant too. If you can capture sure. the emissions yeah. and and turn them into and turn them into energy, that that would work great. I think it's 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 slightly different because it's a fuel cell. You're not creating a liquid fuel, and they're starting with they're starting with natural gas as the as the proof of concept. But I love the idea. Well, if, it's if a great we're going to keep what, burning what if, fuel, uh, this is so the, good at it. Bill, what if we get so good and efficient at it that it becomes uh, a reasonable thing? Uh, you know, we can ma- actually make money pulling it out of the atmosphere, you know, um, uh, and, ma- and to make a liquid fuel. Not only that, you know, that's a- another possibility. That one scares me because I think if it ever becomes profitable to pull carbon out of the atmosphere, we're going to end up with too little carbon in the atmosphere. Right. Everybody. <laughs> Leave it to the world transformed to uh, to worry about too little carbon in the atmosphere. We always are, we, we go we go a step That's called looking ahead. Problems. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah we're, we're we're a step beyond today's problems for sure. Unintended so. consequences. Yeah. I, I I think it's it's you know it's the tragedy of the commons, right? Right. If it's like there's money to be made pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, everybody starts doing it, and suddenly it's like, oh, no, we don't have enough carbon in the atmosphere. Well, right now it's money to be made with uh, the opposite, putting carbon into the atmosphere. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe it evens out, Phil. I'm hoping. Uh, at some point. At some point, uh, per- perhaps it does. I-, I have a feeling that ultimately, though, we're going to need the coal, as I've said in the past, for all the diamondoid Nanotech in the future. We're go. going to be we're going to be using solar. And we're going to be glad to have the coal for, for that purpose uh, when we need it. Absolutely. That's right. So so burning coal, I think, is is again, it's a limited term technology. We're still going to do it for a while, and I like things like this because they they make it cleaner in the in the near term. But in the long term, we we need coal too much to, for all the cool stuff we're going to make out of it. All right. Finally, DARPA is planning to hack the human brain to let us upload skills. Here it is. It's the Matrix, right? <laughs> I know Kung, I learned Kung Fu. Fu. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's funny. Everybody always goes straight to Kung Fu. You know, the more important one is probably, I want to learn how to fly a helicopter. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you know Kung Fu and you can fly a helicopter, you're basically Batman. The world is yours, okay, basically. <laughs> right. right. You are Batman. You can, uh, <laughs> you can You can go and do at that point. But, this uh, is, you know, awesome. this is not quite that... Not quite what happens, not quite what happens in the Matrix, but it's that it's the concept. So, you know, basically, what what we're talking about here is probably making the brain more amenable to taking in new skills. But in the end, we're talking about ultimately loading information straight into your straight into your head. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a whole if... programming language thing that has to be overcome before they they can really do that. Right. I mean, there's a encoding skills and just just the issue of whether a skill set such as karate or flying a helicopter or whatever it would be, trigonometry, is it encoded the same in my brain as it is in yours? Or are our brains each developing their own completely novel ways of doing this? And if they are, how complex does it become making kind of a universal interface for loading knowledge into human brains. Presumably, that's, those are the issues they're working on right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it may turn out that, uh, you know, the route that you took to learn Mandarin, Phil, might be a little different from the route I take to learn Mandarin. And right. so it's set, up, it's set up differently in, in your brain versus mine. Uh, you know, although, you know, when you talk Mandarin and I understand Mandarin and, and, and respond in kind, 
it, it seems like we're exactly in sync. Well, maybe not, you know, maybe. And so, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, thing. I, I guess we'll, I guess we'll find out uh, the deeper, uh, uh, the, the DARPA guys or our others uh, delve into this. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting someday if we have knowledge in our brains that just feels really different from the other knowledge and we'll know it's there artificially and we will be using skills and it'll be, it, 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 we'll know at once it's a skill we didn't learn as a child or that we didn't pick up on our own because it's got that funky yeah. programmed in feeling to it. So, so basically are we, uh, are, are we Neo where he knew that his Kung Fu was implanted, but he, he could use it. Or right. are we, are, are we Rachel from Blade Runner where she's playing the piano, but can't remember, you know, I remember having lessons, but I didn't know if it would actually, I could actually do it. Right, right. Uh, you know, and so it was, and, and turns out she could. Um, but uh, yeah, is, is, is it is it does it feel different in some way, or is it just become uh, integrated into what we are, just just as if it were a memory? It's interesting. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. yeah. When when I do something really complicated or something really, you know, when I go surfing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether it feels different from a learned skill or not, I will know. That that was you know that that got programmed in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When 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 Phil goes surfing or you know, uh, what what would I do? I don't know. Uh, Juggling like, knives. I don't know. You know something really. Easy. I don't. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that you didn't anticipate doing. Then that, yeah, yeah and be... you're going wow wow what what's up with these guys? Well, you know, at that point you'd start asking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> of course, everybody will be surfing and juggling knives and flying helicopters, so it won't be all it won't be all that special anymore. But you know that that's why you want to get in early on this stuff, folks. Be, yeah, you know, I, Stephen and I can't be the first, but you go ahead. Go ahead and give it a try and uh. <laughs> let us know if uh, you know. Uh, let us know if it works out for you, and we'll report back on that. That's yeah. right. Okay, well that's going to have to do it. We've run out of time once again. Boy, this week's going by fast. All right, we're going to be back on. Friday with a brand new show. We're going to talk about some interesting stuff going on in health technologies. And of course, we're going to do a geek out. So look forward to talking with you then, Stephen. Look forward to being with you all. And until next time, live to see it. 